it's so special to me because in that moment, I realized that I'm allowed to take my own artistic path. I don't have to make it similar to other people. And while the film itself is like totally simple in concept, behind it and like what I learned through it is like, it was so meaningful to me. Welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Kimmy King. She's a Black artist working as an animator at Green Portal Productions. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hello, yes, I am Kimmy. I am currently an animator or retake animator at Green Portal on the show Rick and Morty. Right now I am, this is like, I just got started. So (laughs) there's like not a lot (laughs) I can say in the meantime, but right now, yes, I'm an animator. I just graduated um, in 2020 and freelancing up until this point. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. The pandemic year. Yeah. (laughs) Don't remind me. (laughs) (laughs) We were just before. Like 2019, so we actually got to have a physical graduation. (laughs) I know. Honestly, I think that's what hurts the most, that Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to have like that little graduation. They had it later, but by then it was just, I couldn't. I was going to be my follow-up. I know a lot of schools like, you know, gave a chance for all the people that graduated in 2020 to come back and graduate the the current class. Yeah. um, Yeah. That, it wasn't for me... Schools can be different, but for my graduation, the part that I was most interested in was being able to scre- uh, screen my final film. Mm-hmm. And so mm. when I couldn't do that, they were only going to uh. be offering us like to walk at the graduation. Where I was like, I don't, that's fine. Like, I- I'm okay with that. I wanted to screen my film on the big screen, you know? <laughs> the thing that you no, worked totally on. Fair. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Before we get into the interview, the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices and then you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. Okay, awesome, awesome. I'll start us off as usual with the first question. Would you rather have a sparring session with Vi from Arcane or Rock Lee from Naruto? Oh my gosh. Well, in both cases, I'm pummeled by the both of them. <laughs> well, we would say this that's is like, you know, like a training sort of, you know, friendly. Friendly. Still <laughs> probably going to get my butt kicked. Um, oh, man. Okay, so Rock Lee is more martial arts, mm-hmm. while Vi is more like boxing. Mm-hmm. So while it would be cool to do martial arts with Rockley. I think I have to go with Vi because boxing and kickboxing, I would have a better chance to hold my own mm-hmm. in the friendly training session than I would in martial arts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, good. I think that's what I got. Yeah, good do point. You, you do kickboxing, right? Yes, I do. Love it. I love it to death. <laughs> what about you, Yuki? What, what would you um, go with? Well, I mean, as much as I really enjoyed Arcane, I have like such a soft spot in my heart for Rock Lee. So, I mean, if I could like meet him and hang out, I feel like it would just be really fun. <laughs> I guess a similar thing is, yeah, to use like, oh, boxing or versus martial arts. Uh, I think like mm-hmm. learning some martial arts would be really cool. Sort of that like 
some of the things that he learns alongside of uh, the physical aspect of it is like, you know, believing in yourself in the springtime of youth and all of this. I think that would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also go with Rock Lee because uh, oh. I feel like I feel like uh, it'd be more fun. I think like I would learn a lot more. And if, if I'm screwing up or if I'm not doing that well, I think Rock Lee would like hype me up being like, oh, yeah, you can do this. Like, yeah, the whole springtime I've used uh, Delio. <laughs> and I think he would be more insane. I think I think after a point though, I'm gonna I might get tired of his personality. Oh no, <laughs> it's like too much. Yeah, it might be too much rock. It might get to a point where it's too much of Rock Lee, where he's gonna be like another set of ten, like ten thousand pushes. I'm like, like screw you, I could barely do the first set. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Another set, or like he'll do the whole thing where like let's walk around the entire village just uh, on our hands. I'm like. I'll, I'll walk beside you, but I'm not going to walk on my hands, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 think, I think I was still, barring wise, I think I would still choose Rock Lee, though. Mm. I think, like, Vi would be more of, like, like you're saying, like, Rock Lee's, like, really energetic, but Vi's more of, like, mm. a tough love. Yeah. I just yeah. feel like it, it would be, like, that mutual, we just got to, like, knock something out. Like, not mm-hmm. each other, but, like, just go for mm-hmm. it. No, like, not a lot of talking. It's just, like, just take all your energy and put it into boxing at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, last question. Which villain would you rather intern for? Syndrome from The Incredibles or Olivia Octavius from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Oh, Olivia, hands down. I'm sorry. Syndrome, <laughs> like, I'm not even looking your direction. <laughs> Olivia, I, I, I hope you both have watched Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Olivia, in that moment, I'm just like, oh my gosh. First of all, she has the brains and the technology and the looks. And so it's just like, yes, <laughs> let me intern for you. Syndrome, I'm so sorry. It's a little bit annoying. <laughs> He's just like a fanboy who went too far. He's truly awful, isn't he? <laughs> How about you, Ray? How about you? Uh, damn, that's Are tough. you actually thinking about this? I'm kind, of actually, I'm kind of actually thinking about this just because, like, I think Syndrome is a lot more fun. Oh, okay. But even though he's a bit uh, psychotic. I mean, they're both psychotic. I think he's, we can we Yeah, can I guess that. so. But, like, I wonder if I, would, if I had to pay my way or if he would fly me out to intern on the remote island. Because that would be a cool experience to, like, be on a, like, nice tropical remote island and intern. But, like, interning for, like, Olivia probably be more accessible because it's within the city. I feel like I'll actually be doing, like, you know, I feel like I'll actually be doing stuff. I feel like my intern role for, like, for Syndrome is going to be just a hench- an, an intern henchman. <laughs> And not like working with him. Yeah, I mean, I, if I could that work, change your I mind, could, maybe because I would like to try. Because again, like I feel like with Olivia, you be you like I feel like only the top people know she's like she's Doc like Ock. Doc Ock. But like to the regular intern, maybe she's like you're actually just working on experiments or like maybe working on some cool technology. Okay. I feel like with Syndrome, I actually be able to test out some of the the cool equipment that he uses mm-hmm. that maybe that just so i can test out the fun equipment i'll go with syndrome fair enough, mm. fair enough. okay yeah because he's trying to make everyone supers right yeah exactly mm. yeah so i mean in my mind i was also thinking like would syndrome try to be like the mentor that mr incredible wasn't like would he uh, actually be nice to you is is my thought Ooh. but i have no idea 
Olivia is also just like really cool. <laughs> you ever see people <laughs> and you're like, man, I just want to be like around you in your presence. Exactly. Can I like soak up some of your cool? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I would go with that because even if I was like an intern and I didn't know she was Doc Ock, if I was like working on, I forget what they're called, the like her like arms, her tentacle arm things. Mm-hmm. They have like a specific name. The way that they like inflate or whatever. I just think that's that was like so creative. That was really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a totally different take on on Doc Ock. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So if I was like yeah, working I'd- on something like that, I'd probably be like, ooh, like let me just work on my. I'm such a good little <laughs> engineer technician, and then she goes off and like does some evil shit, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> then you you can just steal this technology, and then you can fight her. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Imagine fighting Doc Ock. My gosh. (laughs) Or join her. (laughs) Join her. (laughs) Well, on that pleasant note, thank you for playing In Between Gibby. And to our audience, if you have any suggestions for future In Between questions, send us a message either on Twitter or Instagram at straightaheadap or send us an email straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's jump into this. Could you tell us the role of an animator at Green Portal Productions who are known for producing Rick and Morty? Yes. So if you don't know, a lot of animation is sent to outsource studios like Canada or like Japan, Korea. And Mm -hmm. so when we receive our animation, the supervisors and the creators actually also do like a watch down of the episode and they will be calling out, you know, lip sync here might need some work. The performance here needs a little bit more plussing, like a little bit more, you know, just give Mm -hmm. a little more life to it. Or there's like weird masking issues. You know, we might need a pickup line here. The sequence is not correct. So they will write down all the notes that need to be changed. And so once Mm -hmm. that is done, then it's sent to us, the animators, to pretty much fix. So we're like the fine tuners, making sure everything's looking nice and neat for the episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn, that's 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 really really cool. I, my question to that is, what's what's the common like note that you feel like you get a lot, or that seems to be kind of an issue when getting the episode back from the overseas studio? Is it is it just like you know, you know, like that? I'm thinking of like the weird like the old cartoons where uh, you would see like Batman's neckline and his skin tone instead of being the actual the color of his cowl mm-hmm. like stuff like that or if it's more of just like oh the acting wasn't wasn't quite right here that wasn't the intention so it's some it's really a good mix of like everything what I've okay. gotten a lot so far has been tweaking lip sync a lot mm. and mm-hmm. adding lip sync because there will be pickup lines that you know, need to be animated. And that's Mm -hmm. like our job as well. So there's a lot of that. There are some like little masking things or like weird, like, oh, the hand (laughs) is supposed to be on top of the shoulder or whatever, which actually doesn't get caught during like the watch down. You kind of catch it when you're working on the shot. So you're just like, oh, shoot, you got to like go in and fix that. So there'll be like little things that you also just, you as an animator have to like keep on a lookout for, which is like... Mm -hmm really cool in a way that it kind of helps train your eye to be catching these like little things that not even like the whole 
watch down crew caught at that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's like those little things that really help polish the episode overall and makes mm-hmm. less work for like the editor who has to put it all together in the end. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that. Um, when I'm working in animation uh, here and we do a lot of like animation to retake pipeline in-house when I've worked at like these Georgia studios and our animations director will basically like, well, I had like um, a director whose role was basically just to quality control, like all of the shots. So she would just watch them back and forth, be like, hey, the line width is wrong here. Like you got a layering issue there. There's one frame where like they pop back and forth in Z space for some reason, you know, like small stuff like that. Things like where the action is happening up here, but then their leg like suddenly pops out of existence and you didn't see it for whatever reason, like just really small stuff where, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, your focus is not really on that in the action. And if you're watching all these scenes back to back, you probably won't notice it because even though you can see like the whole screen when you're watching something, you're usually not paying attention to everything. That's just Mm -hmm. like a thing we know in animation, you know, you're like, oh, put it in this top a quadrant and then like there will be something down in the, the other opposite opposite quadrant that's like missing or like doing something weird so mm-hmm. yeah totally being like detail oriented kind of catching those things it's sort of like a weird part of the brain that i didn't think about going into to animation if that makes yeah. sense <laughs> same here i'm just like oh wow i actually have to train my eye to make sure i'm like catching as much as humanly possible at this point and mm-hmm. i don't know it just it feels like it's like a skill that I feel it's going to be really valuable down the road, which is like mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. really cool. One of the things I was kind of curious about, how is it working on somebody else's file when you get it? Like, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure no file is created equal. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some people are probably really good at organizing their stuff. And other people is just like, what the hell is this bomb of a mess that you just sent my way? So the file organization has like, the node view is what I'm specifically thinking of, where it can be like super organized. Like the rigs are all the same. Like there's nothing really that changes, but like how the compositing is done in the TuneBim file. But in my experience, I've gotten very, very lucky. There have been really good animators who have been just very neat with their node view and their file naming, especially when it comes to like drawn and masking for whatever that mm-hmm. needs to be masked and in the shot itself, there have been some shots where I'm just like, I have no idea what this layer even does. Uh, <laughs> help. <laughs> and the game where you switch on and off nodes and you yes. like look at the view, look at the yeah. render view, you're like, what happened? What Nothing happened. happened. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you're just spending like five minutes still trying to figure out what it does. And then at yeah. some point you just give up and you're just like, well, I'm going to keep it off and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Imagine being at the animator is like, I'm just going to add a random node that does absolutely nothing just to see if it messes up. <laughs> I mean, it could also be a situation where you like added it, but then you thought of a better way to, to do it. So you like changed some stuff and then just left it there. Like there's all a whole bunch of stuff that could happen. Mm-hmm. I guess for the people who don't know, the node view is like similar to like that's the rigging portion of Toon Boom. Like if you've ever done like rigging Amaya and stuff. It's like code spaghetti that you move around. <laughs> it's like boxes and lines. That's all I say. It's like boxes yeah. and lines everywhere. So uh, one of the things I kind of also want to ask is that how did you get your first start working in animation, especially, you know, being out of school 2020? Oh, my gosh. 
every time I think about this, it's just like, I did a lot in a very short amount of time. Mm. And Mm -hmm. that's like a lesson learned. But like I said, I graduated in 2020, height of the pandemic, pretty much. Um, It was also the time of the Black Lives Matter movement. And Mm -hmm. so it was just Mm -hmm. so much happening. But I knew I had to try. I had to like still try to get myself, like get my career started because, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time, you know, student loans are still going to be due. And Mm -hmm. I still wanted to move out to L.A. one day to get like industry jobs because, you know, again, at the time it was all based in L.A., and mm-hmm. I was, I'm coming from New York, born and raised. So I was like, okay, I got to have some money saved up. And so mm-hmm. I got on Twitter, really started putting myself out there on Twitter. And I kind of like got myself into the indie space. And mm-hmm. there's like a lot of like freelance 2D animation work out there with indie creators who just want to make their pilots. They want to make their shows. And so mm-hmm. I got onto a short called Motorcat and... It was like fun. It was like, that was like my first gig. Like I had applied and I got the job. And I was like, oh my gosh, I like, I did it. I could do this. Um, and from there I got onto Hell of a Boss and mm. I started working on that production, which was like, it's indie, but it was like, you know, like a studio production pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It has a really tight ship. Yes, they yeah, do. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I saw the first episode when they released it. It was pretty like, it was like super professional like levels of stuff that they put out Mm -hmm. yeah and like episodes were coming out like once a month so the turnarounds were pretty quick um but it was Mm -hmm. like a huge learning experience for me and like getting like my toes in the water of like studio space where things are expected of me in a timely manner gotta get it done and at the same time i was also doing more freelance work on batu which is directed by chaz bottoms Mm -hmm. and I've quickly started to realize there came a point where I was doing so much freelance work all at the same time that Mm. I was like burning myself out or like Mm. my work was suffering because of it. And while I did get it done, it was passable. I knew I was like struggling a lot. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I had to pivot, like pretty much pivot how I took on freelance. And so I'm not saying I became more selective, I was just being more aware of how much work I can take on at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from there, I started also working for Cartoona and I did a lot of work for them until I had saved up enough to move to LA. And by then the pandemic, it was still there, but like, you know, I could get on a plane and not, you know, fear for my life. Yeah. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I moved here. And if anyone doesn't know, LA is so expensive. So mm. even <laughs> if you save a lot, apparently it's still not enough. And mm-hmm. it, it was like around March or April, I believe. And my savings was like really low. Like I was like, oh, shoot, I think I got to get like a retail job or work somewhere. Um, I was getting freelance work. Yeah, but it wasn't enough to keep up living here. And right. so that was when I got like an email from Rick and Morty and well, the producers at Rick and Morty. And I had interviewed and got the job that same day. So I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like it was like a lifesaver, pretty much. That's awesome. I have a couple of questions. So on Hell of a Boss, were you doing full like key animation or were you doing cleanup or because they do a lot of hand drawn, right, for all of their stuff. So so it's all hand drawn. Um, I was doing rough animation. So we got oh, the storyboards. Fun. We did the full 
rough animation pass, and then that gets sent off to the cleanup artist. Ah, oh, that's really awesome. <laughs> how how was it being actual part of, like roughing out the initials animations and stuff and trying to like because yeah, I, I would I would go as far as to say the fact of like how professional like the level of attention Haluva Boss got is pretty historic in my opinion. Yeah, how, the style the style alone is. For me, it was very complex because I didn't draw that way. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was more yeah. very realistic in my art style. So going to something that's so stylized and like cartoony and even like the animations very cartoony sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it was like a learning adjustment for me to actually get the hang of the show style, which again mm-hmm. is really helpful in the industry, being able to adapt and be versatile. So a, a lot of it was just like learning and actually understanding and also also learning the kind of finish that you're supposed to produce because my only experience Mm -hmm. with rough animation was for my own film. So of course Mm. I know what I'm talking about. I know what it's supposed to look like at the end, but when your work is going to be passed on to someone else, you need to make Mm -hmm. sure it's clear enough for that artist to do their job. Right. Mm -hmm. How did you find all of these jobs? Because you're saying like you bounced around to tons of like different indie jobs. I know there's like listings online, but is there anything that really works for you? Like, searching up and like applying so it was twitter all on twitter i got oh, like really pretty much all mm. my jobs through twitter unfortunately like this day and age the, a lot of the job hunt is through who you know and social media so it was a thing that i had to like be comfortable with like applying out there on twitter making sure i'm following the right people to be in those circles to sh- have those jobs show up on my feed mm. so if you're not following indie artists you're not going to see those postings that they do for searching for animators, you know? So mm. once I got enough like artists that I was following, I started to actually see like the job postings, which was really cool. And like getting into those communities, mm. like black and animated and Q tag, like all those discord servers, they also post the job postings there. So you start, you start to be able to see where the jobs are flowing through like social media and those communities. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's really great. That's, yeah. that's something to honestly keep in mind if you're like uh, a student or like going to be a recent grad, just get involved in those communities because there's so much information out there now. There's so much, you know, organizations that are starting that are helping to bring in more people of color or to like get, you know, people hired and like so much like postings can can be found through there. Uh, one of the things I also kind of want to ask, you mentioned it uh, and I noticed when I was like looking at like your, um, your resume too. Is that, uh, yeah, a lot of the work you've done is also through uh, Cartoona. Uh, what, is, what is Cartoona, if you don't mind <laughs> explaining that? Um, I believe the correct term is like they are a boutique studio. So they work a lot with mm. like clients and those clients will be like, hey, we want this, you know, 30 second short or like this bumper for this network or whatever. And mm-hmm. so they, Cartoona would hire artists like me. Um, to do that work. And so a lot of times, a lot of my work came from Cartoona because I don't know, we just worked really well together and like my style fit a lot of the projects they were getting. So, which was really, really fortunate for me. Uh, one of my first jobs was leave. It was the, the Nickelodeon job with SpongeBob. The SpongeBob 360? Yeah, SpongeBob in 360. And then I did oh, cool. um, BT work as well at the same time because they're like, hey, we have this as well. So oh. it was, that was also, again, when I was talking about how I was taking on a lot at the same time and I had to learn quickly that I can only take so much. 
Mm-hmm. How did you find Cartoon and also like were you like specifically employed with them or were you more like kind of like they had you on file as like oh this is an anime we can contact if we ever have work like how how does that work with a studio like that? Yeah so it was freelancing so yeah they would mm-hmm. reach out to me I wasn't like a staff employee it was more like contract work pretty much okay so they would just reach out to me and then if I was available I could take on the job if I wanted it or they probably had like other animators as well that they reach out to. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us about a little more about the animation that you did for yeah SpongeBob in 360? Because that's that's something that's really curious to me, especially like yeah, explain what that was in that process. Because I'm super curious uh, your experience on that. Oh my gosh, it was a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I was reached out to Cartoona to work on SpongeBob in 360, and uh, People don't know how to get like the 360 look to actually work. And how I was supposed to animate is it's called an equally rectangular layout. And it's it's like <laughs> this weird, like warped view of the background. And so mm-hmm. it's so hard to explain without showing it. But there's like three vanishing points, I believe. And mm-hmm. so as if you want your character to walk from like point A to point B, they might be scaling in size mm. just so that when you mm. actually like, I don't know, the correct term is compositing. <laughs> but when you actually like unflatten it, I guess is a way to describe it. It makes that like 360 look. Oh. So mm. is this like, like a VR thing? Yes and no. Okay. Like, yes, <laughs> okay. VR. Or is it like AR, whichever. But it's just like a warped view. Um and so I had to like learn how to animate like that because it wasn't like, you know, two point perspective. You got that three point, maybe sure. One point, of course. But when you're like working with like an equally rectangular layout, you're just like, where am I supposed to focus? And my mm-hmm. director, who was also my prof- professor um, in college, she was she had to like, you know, demo it for me and show me like the cheats to understanding it and Pretty much just like you're not really working with more than like two vanishing points at a time unless you get to like the middle. Then things get a little funky. But like learning that and I was just like, wow, this is something you could do with animation. It was just like so cool. And then when you actually see it finished, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's like it looks like that. It's so cool. Because mm-hmm. I haven't actually seen it yet. Was it one of those projects where it's like the viewer can kind of like look around the room as much as they want and the story will pause until they get until they refocus on what's happening or is it one of the things that the story keeps happening even if you're looking away so the story keeps happening even if you're not looking at like the main stage consider it like a play that's how our director talked about it it's like people are always doing something and your back is Mm -hmm. never really to the audience so you could be looking at something like one of the fish was having like eating a hamburger at Krusty Krab and something could be going on on the completely other side of the viewer and so that's mm-hmm. why it was so cool to keep watching because you would find all these like little easter eggs which i also animated <laughs> <laughs> so there would be always something going on on the stage which was really cool and like the story was progressing but there was just so many little things that you could watch at that moment there's always something going on mm-hmm. damn <laughs> would you ever do a project like that again actually <laughs> or it was once enough <laughs> Honestly, once was not enough. I actually, and I also considered doing a film in that type of style. It's on the back oh, burner wow. right now. 
<laughs> but it was like so cool that I was like, wait, this is like really awesome for like moments in and like stories where like it could be like a party scene and like mm-hmm. consider like mystery. And like if you're looking at the right spot at the right time, you could catch like a clue. But if also if you're looking over here at that time, there could be something totally different. So, yes, I actually am considering making a film that way. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, that'd be exciting. It's uh, yeah, trying to do like a party scene where so much is happening and trying to like it's it's almost like you've, you're there trying to figure it out yourself. That's cool. One of the other things I also kind of wanted to ask is one of your very first screen credits was directing and animating Z-Way's late night show intro for Showtime. How was that experience and how did that experience come about? Was that also through Cartoona? So, yes, it was through Cartoona. Um, this was at the time where I was also doing some other freelance work for them, but they had reached out to me and they're like, hey, do you want to do this intro for Z-Way's show called Z-Way? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, like, why not? That sounds so cool. Like a, mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. person, like a show's intro, getting to animate yeah. that. I was just like, oh, why wouldn't I say no to that? Why wouldn't I say yes to that? I should say. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the opportunity, I actually got to meet her on like a video call and she's so great. She's like so um, personable. She's awesome as a person. And um, pretty much I had to like get a feel for like what kind of intro she wants to do. And at first we went through a pass where it wasn't working at the time. So this was like maybe two or three weeks into the production where we kind of had to like start over. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, shoot. <laughs> so having to make that pivot while also still on like a tight deadline because her show was coming out like in the next month or so. Right. So I had to like gather like a little bit, a couple more people onto my team to actually get this done on time. And so it was a great opportunity for me to learn like directing and actually managing a team and mm-hmm. keeping to that core vision that we had for the intro. And I mean, it turned out amazing in the end. I'm so proud of it to this day, but it was like, it was a lot of fun and a great learning experience just to like actually like direct. Mm-hmm. No, it's really, really awesome. So it's, yeah, that, that's something really interesting to me. So when they first contacted you, it was just, it was just you and they, you had a budget, I'm assuming. And then from there you realize like, okay, to meet the deadline, I need to bring some additional help. Like what was your kind of selection process or the thing you kept in mind when bringing people on to work with and, you know, being in that role for the, I don't want to say for maybe for the first time, cause maybe you worked with a team in school, but being in a position where you're actually able to hire people or bring people on to kind of bring this other person's vision to life. Yeah. So at the time I was only going to have like a background artist and a compositor and I was going to do everything Mm -hmm. else. I was going to animate. I was going to do the cleanup. Mm -hmm. And then the whole pivot happened and I was like, shoot, I'm not going to be able to do the cleanup all by myself in time because cleanup for me is like the slowest process And uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I was like, I'm going to need cleanup artists. So the selection process, I actually reached out to the black and animated server. And Mm. yeah, because I was like, well, I I, I wanted to have like, you know, a majority POC team. So I was like, might as well reach out to this community that I'm part of and also give people that opportunity to work on something like just as cool like as this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have like a huge like standard. I just needed someone who was available for the time that I needed, able to do the work 
well, like actually well and keep consistent. And mm. thank God, like, like luckily I found a lot of people who were like amazing. Like they'd done cleanup for studios before. So I'm just like, oh shoot, like, okay, great. Like, awesome. I can work <laughs> with you. I had to like also clean up my files for them. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I'm passing this on to another artist. I need to make sure this is presentable for you. So I had to like be like, first I hired and I was like, okay, give me like three days. I have to go like clean up my files. And so I did that and I sent it and like my cleanup artists were rock stars. They did so well. And the final look was like cohesive, which was great. I, I got to like give little notes here and there, which wasn't crazy because like the intro itself isn't overly complex, but there was mm-hmm. just like, you know, the details of her eyes or how mm. her hair was in the shot. Like those little things I had to make sure was consistent. And that's the mm-hmm. things that I called out, which was cool. Cause I was like, oh, like my attention to detail is improving because I had to make sure there's like a standard that mm-hmm. had to be kept with this intro. Cause even though it's like 45 seconds, if it's not consistent, it's going to look weird, you know? And I didn't want yeah. to, to look weird. That's my first screen credit. My name is on the line too. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I want it to be good. It was good. It was really good. Yeah. And it's really awesome. That's That's a cool experience. Especially like a lot of directing positions is just kind of entrusting your artists that are working under you to do a pretty good job. And then you're just basically making sure it's all looking like one art style, one consistency across yeah. the board. So it's good that like you were able to rely on them to such a degree. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They're great. It was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, while attending school at like Rochester Institute of Technology, you created like a handful of short films What was kind of like the biggest learning experience you gained when working on your first one titled Drowning back in 2018? Oh, my gosh. So my first film, Drowning, is actually a very special film to me. And it's not Mm. so much as like the story, because the story is really dark. (laughs) The person drowns. Spoiler Mm. alert. But the process that I went through to make it was like really pivotal in my like journey as an artist, because Mm. the story behind it is... At the time, I was trying to decide what I wanted to make my film about and like how I wanted to make my film. I realized I was like, well, hey, I'm stronger through paper animation right now than digital animation. I think I want to make my film on paper, all on paper. And so I was like, you know, talking about my ideas to like upperclassmen and like my friends. And like I had a lot of kickback from upperclassmen. A lot of them were like, you shouldn't do a film all on paper. like." are you crazy? That's not going to be done in time. Like you're not going to, it's not going to be good or it's just not mm-hmm. worth it. You should just do it digitally. And so I panicked. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I, is this like a rule? Like you can't do films on paper. Like, are we supposed to do it digitally? So I reached mm-hmm. out to my mm-hmm. 2D animation professor and I asked her, I was like, am I allowed to do a film on paper? And she responded to me, of course you can. Like here in school, like, of course you're allowed to do like whatever you want with your film within reason, of course, but mm-hmm. it is entirely up to you, your artistic vision for your film. And so my advisor on my film as well found out because the two professors shared an office and mm-hmm. he had to check in on me. He was like, are you okay? Like, are you like, I hope you're, you didn't take any of that to heart. Like, I hope, you know, you are definitely allowed to make a film on paper if you want to. And no mm-hmm. upperclassmen should be telling you otherwise. And so at that moment, I was just like, okay, great, phew. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I, mm-hmm. I, I bought 2,000, like just a little bit over 2,000, 11 by 18 sheets of paper. And I made a film all on paper. And oh my God. it 
was awesome. It was a great experience. It was funny wow. because there was also a power outage one of the days when people were working and I didn't have Ooh. a problem. I was in the paper lab, still animating, still working on my film while people were like <laughs> panicking because they couldn't work on their stuff because the computers were down. So it uh, it's so special to me because in that moment, I realized that I'm allowed to take my own artistic path. I don't have to make it similar mm-hmm. to other people. And while the film itself is like totally simple in concept behind it and like what I learned through it is like it was so meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point that you say about making what you wanted to make and the fact that you knew that you were more comfortable working on paper rather than digital. I I don't know specifically like what the upperclassmen were thinking. Maybe they were just trying to advise you being like, hey, digital's faster or yeah. like in their perception probably was faster. Mm-hmm. But for you, you were like, I, I'm much better on paper. Like this is kind of what I want to do. And you know, having that wherewithal of like your own limitations and your own like level of comfortability, you know, that makes a lot of sense to to just stick to your guns and kind of do what you, you know best. Yeah, exactly. And in mm-hmm. the end, I'm the one who has to make the film, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Also, you're in school at the time. That's like the, I think one of the things I keep saying through this podcast, this is a time to make mistakes. Yes. If it ended up being a mistake, you know, because like if the upper class thought like, oh, you're not going to fish or whatever. Yeah, they should just let you learn from if it ended up being a mistake, let you learn those mistakes and that way you can carry that with you. Exactly. But again, you you were able to accomplish it. You did it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I went through and watched all the short films that you had on your on your website. Uh, one of the things I kind of wanted to ask is, so yeah, you did it on paper, but how did you go about compositing it? Or did you, what was like the back end, like after you did all the drawing and going on the overhead projector and taking pictures of every frame? <laughs> so yeah, that was the only part that was not, done on paper. I had to get it onto a computer, obviously. But Mm -hmm. they had like these rooms at my school where there's a camera overhead. You Mm -hmm. put your your one frame on the little pegboard and you take a picture. And I kept doing that for all like thousands of paper. Mm -hmm. And then I took that into TV paint at the time because that was the program of choice I was most comfortable with. And Mm -hmm. um, I was also taught how to do a little bit of cleanup in a way with it, where when you take the picture and you like you have that scanned look to it. There's like some artifacts or like, there's just like little things that make it look messy in a way. Mm -hmm. And not exactly like that nice, beautiful hand-drawn look that I, I liked. And so I actually had some friends help me clean up my film, just like take an eraser Mm -hmm. on Mm. the program and just like remove those artifacts of it to make it cleaner, more solid of a line. So that was like the compositing I had with, in regards to that. The only other thing I did was I had a, a like a bluish overlay mm-hmm. to the film. And so and then I had inverted my black lines to white. So that was all the compositing I really did for the film. There wasn't a lot. I had a composer who did like the music and the sound. But besides that, yeah, it wasn't like crazy composited. Everything was primarily done with the, like the animation portion of it. Mm. It's really cool. One of the things that I know that you recently got to be is that you got to be a Toon Boom or you got to be a part of the Toon Boom Ambassador Program. How was that like? Because uh, I know it's like a, a thing that you have to apply to. What was it like being selected and to be a part of that that program? I couldn't believe it at first <laughs> when I got the email. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? But yeah, it was an application process. The great thing about, I, I believe, about Toon Boom in general is that 
they weren't selecting people who are already successful in the industry, like showrunners only, big names, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You could be like a hobbyist mm-hmm. who just used the program really well, like, and mm-hmm. find these like little things that work for you. And you can be an ambassador. Mm-hmm. It's the ambassador program is pretty much just a bunch of artists, like 50 artists who advocate for the program and like showcase all it can do and mm-hmm. how it can work for people who are learning, people who are just hobbyists, people who are indie creators and even industry folks. And mm-hmm. so when I got that email, I was just like, oh my gosh, like that's like so cool. <laughs> Cause at the time I wasn't working in the industry. I was freelancing. I knew Toon Boom enough to function in it, but I wasn't like a master rigger, you know? So mm-hmm. to have been chosen, mm-hmm. it was like really cool and really special because I was like, well, wow. Like, you know, it, this is what was for anyone. It could be anyone who just really loves the program and really wants to like advocate for it. And so, yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was really cool. There isn't like any requirements to it. You could just have the name for the year and that's it. You don't have to do any freelance for them. You don't have to do any interviews with them. It's just, you know, you get a license for the year. Have fun. Mm-hmm. It's just they want to showcase artists pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really awesome. I have a friend who's also, I think, in the ambassador program this year. And I think this was optional, but like sometimes they send like, oh, questions or something that people who are interested in Toon Boom will ask. And then they'll be like, hey, ambassadors, do you want to answer some of these questions? And then they'll like kick them back or whatever. Not really like free work per se. It's just like, oh, do you want to advocate for our program? Can you like answer some questions? Like, that'd be cool, you know? Um, And like people, I mean... You use Toon Boom. I think it's a great program. I really like Toon Boom. Um, and you mm. can do a lot in it. Like, I mean, the the SpongeBob project that you worked on that you were talking about, like, was that in Toon Boom also? It actually or? was not. Oh, okay. <laughs> At the time, I, no. I wasn't that great in Toon Boom enough to do it. And my director was either you can do it in Adobe Animate or you can do TV Paint because I love TV Paint. Oh, so I was like, thank God, because I didn't know Adobe Animate at the time. So I was like, okay, mm. I had to do it in Toon Boom. Uh, I mean, TV Paint. But a lot of my projects, like Hell of a Boss, like even those freelance projects, those were done in Toon Boom. Mm. And so you could, again, you could do a lot. You can do rig animation and you could do hand-drawn animation. Mm-hmm. So versatile. Mm. It's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the other things that I kind of also wanted to get into is uh, one of the things I think it's really cool that you do is that uh, you kickbox. How did you first get into kickboxing and how do you kind of balance that with work? So uh, back in college, you are required to take two wellness courses for your degree. It's like your PE class <laughs> that you have to take <laughs> in your four years. And so I was like, OK, well, I have to pick something. And, you know, there's RIT offered a lot of options. There's like yoga, there's like, like you could do martial art classes, you can do, you know, badminton and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I saw kickboxing and I was just like, you know what? Sure, I'll give it a try. I didn't really have much experience prior to that, but I was like, I'll give it a go. Let me punch something. Sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you need to release that energy, you know? You're like, shoot, man, like homework got me again. Just one, two on the back. <laughs> And so when I started a class, the instructor was amazing. She was so like, she was like a hype woman pretty much. And I fell in love with kickboxing. I, mm. I, I loved it so much. I couldn't continue it after I took the class because you can only take one class to count as a credit. So mm-hmm. if you repeat the class, you don't get another credit. So I had to take a new class. 
So that was like my first experience with kickboxing. So when I graduated and got home, I was like, well, I love kickboxing. I kind of want to continue that. Let me see if there's something local in my hometown. There wasn't. I, I did take a class. <laughs> it wasn't what I was looking for. It was mm. more like a, yay, let's go, ladies. Like, what like a cardio. Two. Yeah, it was more cardio. Yeah. There was no bags. And I was like, kickboxing. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I moved to LA, I was just like, okay, this is LA now. There has to be a kickboxing class that I can take. Mm-hmm. And so I, I took my phone out. I did a little Google Maps search. And I found a place here in Burbank called Move Her Fitness. And I tried the free class and I fell in love with it. I was just like, this is exactly what I need. I am so excited. It's actually kickboxing. You actually use like bags and gloves and you actually can like, like train with each other, like with other people. And the classes are small Mm -hmm. too. So you get actual attention from the instructor and coach is amazing. She's so full of life and energy. It's, it's great. I love it. <laughs> I just love it so much. It's, <laughs> it's really, it's really helpful for me. Yeah. No, it's great. It's a, it's a, it's a great distress. And it's also something that I, we as like artists say at our desk so much, I like, if you can find anything that's like any kind of form of exercise to do in your free time, it's always going to be really, really helpful. Like, I think this is the thing that most <laughs> people in animation are doing now, but like, I also started recently getting into rock climbing. Uh, just to have some kind of exercise in my routine where, again, I can step away from my desk and just climb a wall a couple times just to get some exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't advocate for it enough. Anything to get you away from a screen. Like, I know there are like hobbies like, you know, you play video games. That's great. Or, you know, you're on your phone doing something. But anything to actually get you away from a screen and get you active. like. Mm-hmm is so Mm -hmm. important and also it's just fun like you're you're moving your body you're getting more hand-eye coordination i remember when i first started like my classes i was like a mess (laughs) because also the pandemic didn't make it any easier you're stuck at home yeah and so like getting the chance to like move and like have that movement you see how beneficial it is to your health like both mentally and physically like me now is least better than where i was like like last year even mm-hmm. yeah uh, one of the things i kind of also want to ask is you've been in animation now for a couple of years what are your future aspirations that you have for yourself working in animation so this is that's a great question <laughs> because i feel like a lot of people are like yeah i want to run my own show one day i want to be a showrunner um mm-hmm. but for me i'm actually i actually want to be an animation director at some point or an animation supervisor because right now i love my job like i love being an animator at Rick and Morty, but I feel like it would be so cool one day to actually be a supervisor as well, because it's like you are, you're one of the, the, the main crew to help get this season out and like looking as it should. And Mm. I, I don't know, I find that would be a a lot of fun and like a great learning experience to actually make it to that point one day. And I feel like with my directing experience in the past on like Z-Way and like, my mm-hmm. other freelance gigs. I don't know. I just, I, I like being able to like manage a team and like guide all of us to accomplishing our work. And it, I don't know, it's just something mm-hmm. about that is really cool, but I, I don't see myself wanting to be a showrunner, which is like mm-hmm. crazy to say, I rather just do mm-hmm. my own indie stuff on the side and get that mm-hmm. out into the world, how I want to do it rather than going through a studio personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, that may change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could definitely no, change yeah. but for now. <laughs> 
yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I think the end goal for people in animation doesn't for everybody is not always yeah being a showrunner and stuff or like you know yeah pitching shows. Um, I think yeah, I think aspiring to be like an art director, a story supervisor, you know, even a, like you know an executive producer at one point. Yeah, it's it can be different for everybody. It just and like like some people are just happy just doing what they're currently doing now, and that's also perfectly fine. It's just always yeah. kind of curious to see like what you see yourself and what you kind of want to do in the future. The next thing I kind of also want to ask is that how do you feel your cultural background influences your voice as an artist? Oh, man. So honestly, early in my artistic journey, I was afraid of having that influence my my arts. Mm. I actually mm. like didn't have that influence my art, which or at least not consciously influence mm-hmm. my art. Mm-hmm. It was just something I had struggled with mentally. I just had like such a disconnect with myself as like a black woman. And mm-hmm. like through college, I was slowly trying to find myself in a way. And I I started to actually be okay and like comfortable with having that influence when I made like my final year's film, where I just I remember doing the character designs. And I thought to myself, I was like, I can just make them all black. Like, there's nothing stopping me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I like, I like your, wait a minute, it all be black. <laughs> yes, literally. I was sitting, the funny thing is I was at work at the time and I was like sketching them out and I was just like, I'm just going to make them all black and no yeah. one can stop me. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I think there was like that little click in my head where it was okay to have that influence and I mm-hmm. recently now I even started to embrace it more. And I realized how unique you can be as an artist when you actually like embrace your cultural identity, whatever it may be. And so now I'm I'm still working on it. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm actually <laughs> actively trying to make sure I include that in my art. And so in long story short, pretty much like, yeah, at first I didn't have it, but now I do. And it's it's improved myself and like my art as a whole. So in a way through art, I was able to like help find myself, which is, I don't know. It's just, it's really cool what art can do for anyone. Yeah. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. like, that's your cultural background, like growing up and everything. Why would you remove so much of your life experience from all of your art? Like use it, you know, like Mm -hmm. put it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really cool that, that you just like came to that realization. It's funny <laughs> yeah. sometimes like looking back on things where I'm like, yeah, that was a really obvious thing, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. it was obvious to people around me, but it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. yeah, like just making that own conscious decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everybody at a different stage of life, uh, that click eventually like, or that switch eventually turns on or you eventually make that switch because when you're growing up, you're just introduced to so much like white media that like... yeah. It's very difficult for your default not to be white. Mm-hmm. Or if you grow up watching a lot of anime, not to, for it for it not to be like anime characters, you know? Yeah. But <laughs> even, very, even, like, even pale skinned, yes. But yeah, <laughs> very, very fair skinned OCs and characters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, eventually that, that switch does happen. And it, it's kind of nice to kind of realize like, oh, yeah, I could make my characters black or oh, I could make my characters like, you know, uh, Mexican and like, or I can make my characters Asian. It's just hopefully kids nowadays. With, you know, stuff like the Casa Grandes, Craig of the Creek, Santiago yeah. of the Seas, yeah. and like Victor and Valentino, they can watch 
shows and they can like when they draw in their own free time and draw their own stuff, they can realize that their default doesn't have to be white. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of why now I embrace it so much because I'm like, okay, if no one else is going to make it, I should like, you know, I should be Mm -hmm. (laughs) like making it too. Because like little me back then would have loved to see the stuff now. Like little me would love to have watched Craig of the Creek. Like, oh, my gosh. Amazing. Like, you don't see that mm-hmm. as much as like it should. Like and to also help in that endeavor. I don't know. It feels good as well. You know, to also help like the future generations. Mm-hmm. I guess springboarding off of this cultural question, not as much cultural, but I am curious because in our little questionnaire, you were talking about personal project. You had that features this character, King of Hearts. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and other various sort of card-based, like card deck-based uh, uh, characters. Is that influenced by your last name being King? <laughs> um, That's a good question. <laughs> that is actually an amazing question. I never thought about it like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just like, hmm, maybe, like, the, you the know. subconscious. <laughs> yes, it could have been subconsciously, maybe. But honestly, it came from, I love, like, playing cards. I love, like, I would grow up playing like solitaire, which is like so silly to say, but like I love solitaire. I recently fell in love with poker. I'm not good at it, but I love it. (laughs) And so, yeah, I guess when I chose King of Hearts, like as like that main character, especially in like my film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of funny now that I think about it. I'm like, hmm, you know, maybe subconsciously, but uh, (laughs) not deliberately is what I could say about it. Mm -hmm. Got it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kimmy. Before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to promote? Uh, yes. So you can find me on Instagram at the Royal K Arts and then Twitter, which is the Royal K. And then you can find like my animation, my demo reel at KimmyKing.com. And yeah, that's pretty much all the social media that I'm on. I I can't deal with much more than that i tried (laughs) i don't want to agreed (laughs) yeah mood (laughs) i I can barely handle the ones that i'm on and i'm not even on there all that often (laughs) so as we come to a close what final advice do you have for those that want to pursue a career in animation (sighs) advice i would say never stop learning like if you can make any opportunity you get a learning opportunity, you should, because it's amazing what you can learn at whatever. It could be the smallest freelance gig or like a studio gig. If you're always open to learning and always willing to learn, it will really help your career. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it other than like keep learning, keep being willing to learn, fall in love with learning because you will always have to learn something. You won't know everything right off the bat. If you do, then let me talk to you because I just know everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just be willing to learn. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. Like yeah. fall in love with learning because in, especially in this profession, you never stop learning. No. This, this second you, you stop learning, you stop improving. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, perfect advice. And if you audience enjoyed our interview with Kimmy today, please rate and follow us on Anchor Spotify or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. If you have suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. 
Special thanks to Ashley at Leon for editing this episode. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, Post a Bright Future, Trade Ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.